Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. I do want to let you know about our other podcast. I want to encourage you to check out the amazing world of radio. Uh, we're currently, we are going through all of the circulating episodes of Top Secret, an espionage drama starring Ilona Massey. Every Wednesday, we will be bringing you a new episode of Top Secret on the Amazing World of Radio. Just go to amazing.greatdetectives.net to subscribe. And if you want to listen to even more, uh, we've been uh, recording a lot of episodes this year with... Uh, uh, celebrations of Jack Webb's centennial, as well as the life of Kirk Douglas and and Julie Bennett in a baseball series, and there are also holiday specials, as well as summers of programs that were dedicated to Angela Lansbury and Humphrey Bogart. Uh, so much great stuff to check out. Just go to amazing.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it's time for today's episode of Roger Kilgore, Public Defender. The original air date is April the 27th, 1948, and this one is The George Brown Story. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents Roger Kilgore, Public Defender. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, and that among these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I'm Roger Kilgore, public defender, a paid servant of the public. It's my duty to defend all people accused of crime who are unable to pay for their own defense. The case of George Brown really began late one afternoon when Brown, a middle-aged man, looking rather seedy and run down, entered the pawn shop owned by Felix Morgan and put a diamond ring on the counter. The pawnbroker picked it up and turned it over in his fingers. Uh, how much will you give me for it? How much do you want? A hundred dollars. Well, uh, I know it's worth more, but if you let me have a hundred, uh, it'll be enough. I'll have to see, Mr. Uh, Brown, George Brown. Uh, would you excuse me for a moment? I want my appraiser to look at this ring. He's in the back of this store. Well, you can let me have a hundred, can't you? Well, that depends, Mr. Brown, on the value of the store. But it's a diamond. Well, it might be imperfect. Oh, I see what you mean. All right, let your appraiser look at it. I'll wait here. Thank you. Hello, operator. Connect me with the police. One moment, please. Sergeant Whiting, 19th Precinct. Uh, good afternoon, Sergeant. This is Felix Morgan. I operate a pawn shop on Cedar Street. Morgan, Cedar Street. What's the matter? Uh, there's a man in my shop now. He's brought in a two-carat diamond ring, platinum setting. Two-carat ring. Go ahead. Well, without examining this ring too closely, Sergeant... I'd say it was worth about $2,000. Ah, 
What's the character's name? He says it's George Brown. Brown. Is he uh, acting suspicious? Well, he's only asking a hundred dollars for the ring. Yeah, well, that doesn't make him a crook, Mr. Mr. Morgan. He might need only a hundred dollars. But he looks like a bum almost. Very run down. Did you ask him where he got it? No, I didn't want to frighten him away. But I can tell you this, Sergeant. He doesn't look like the kind of man who should have a $2,000 ring. Ah. Uh-huh. Well, all right, keep him there for a while. I'll send a squad car over to your place. District Attorney's office? Yes, he's in. Who's calling him? Oh, I'm sorry, Mrs. Howard. He's on the phone now. Will you wait? Very well. I'll tell him to call you this afternoon. Oh, good morning, Mr. Kilgore. Good morning, Miss Lane. How are you today? Fine, thanks. Then you may announce me to my worthy opponent. I don't think I can, Mr. Kilgore. Oh? The district attorney no longer at home to the public defender? Has the welcome sign been withdrawn? <laughs> no, but Mr. Howard's on the... Oh, there. He's just hung up. I'll tell him you're here. Fine. Yes, Miss Lane? Mr. Kilgore would like to see you. Ask him to come right in. Yes, sir. Well, we suit the action to the word. Thank you, Miss Lane. You're quite welcome, Hello, Roger. Same to you, Sam. Well, what case are you working on now? The George Brown matter. Brown. Brown. Magistrate Walford assigned it to me. Oh, yes, yes. Brown pleaded poverty in court last night when he was arraigned. He also pleaded not guilty to a charge of grand larceny, Sam. I know it, Roger. I've got a pretty good case against him. Goes to the grand jury in a couple of days. If he's indicted, and I'm pretty sure he will be, then it'll be up to a trial jury to prove me wrong. Of course. What about some facts? Haven't you seen Brown into the city jail? Not yet. I thought I'd stop in here first. Well, all right. Brown was picked up for questioning yesterday afternoon in a pawn shop on Cedar Street. He was trying to get $100 on a diamond ring worth 20 times that much. Mm-hmm. When the police asked him where he got the ring, he said at first it belonged to him. A few minutes later, he changed his story. Well? Said that his stepdaughter, Harriet Fleming, let him have it to borrow some money on it. But the precinct captain called Harriet Fleming and Brown's alibi went out the window. What did she say? She said she didn't let her stepfather have that ring. As a matter of fact, when the captain phoned her, she was frantic. She thought she'd lost it. Let's see. She had plenty of money, Sam? I wouldn't be surprised. She's married to Carl Fleming, a well-to-do druggist. That's funny. Brown, who's married to Mrs. Fleming's mother, told the court that he couldn't afford a lawyer to defend him. Yes, I see what you're driving at. But I can't disclaim her as a witness because she hasn't been kind to her mother. No. But it's something to think about. I don't see it, Roger. Mrs. Fleming signed a complaint against George Brown under oath. Brown himself provided the evidence when he was caught with a ring. Nothing I can do but prosecute. Of course. Well, Sam, I'm going over to the city jail now to hear what Brown has to say about it. I never thought I'd see the inside of a jail, Mr. Kilgore. I'm 56 years old, and I've never been in trouble with the police before. Now they got me here for being a thief. Why? Your stepdaughter claims you stole her ring. I know. But why is she doing it? She hasn't had a thing against me for a year now. We've been friends. Did she have something against you before that? She didn't like it when her mother married me two and a half years ago. That's so. Emily had... uh, That's my wife. Emily had been a widow for about 12 years. And after my former wife died four years ago, I was very lonely. Yes? Well, Emily was lonely, too. 
For some reason, she never explained to me she didn't live with her daughter Harriet and her husband. Was Mr. Fleming opposed to having a mother-in-law around? I don't know. I only know that when Emily and I decided to get married, Harriet tried to stop. How, George? Why, she made up lies about my character. She said that... Oh, but what's the difference now? Emily didn't believe her. And even Harriet herself changed toward me after a while. What did she say about your character, George? It doesn't matter, Mr. Kilgore. I'm not holding it against her. But she's charging you with a crime now. She's sworn out a complaint against you. She's got her reasons, I guess. What are they, George? I don't know exactly, but I lost my job six months ago. And it's possible that Harriet was afraid that she and her husband, Carl, might have to support Emily and me. Now, just a minute, George. Would she swear out a false complaint to avoid an obligation? Well, I can't think of any other reason. George, you told the police that Harriet Fleming let you have that ring to borrow some money on. That's right, sir. How did that happen? Well, not having any income for six months, Mr. Kildore, Emily and me used up the little money we had saved. So early yesterday afternoon, I went to Harriet's house. She was very nice to me when she let me in. Hello, George. This is a pleasant surprise. Well, I was in the neighborhood, Harriet, so... Well, of course. How's Mother? Well, she's getting along. That's good. I feel so guilty about not seeing her these days. But Carl's at the drugstore all day and half the night, and I've been elected president of my women's club. I haven't got time to breathe anymore. Yes. Uh, As a matter of fact, I was just getting ready to go to a luncheon. Well, Harriet, I... I didn't just happen to be in the neighborhood. What? I came here on purpose. I need help. What's the matter, George? Well, you know, I've been out of a job for six months. You haven't got one yet. It isn't easy for a man my age. I know. But there must be something. Well, I've tried, Harriet. I've looked everywhere. I'm a good mechanic, but I'm ready to do anything. I don't understand. There must be something else for you somewhere. Well, there's one kind of a job I might be able to get, Harriet. What's that? A superintendent's job in some apartment house. I've noticed there are lots of ads in the papers. A hundred to a hundred and fifty dollars a month and a free apartment. Hmm. I could do the job, Harriet. I know a lot about fixing things. Well, that doesn't sound bad, George. You and Mother wouldn't have to worry about rent and its respectable work. It's a good idea, George. Uh, yes, but I'd have to have a set of tools. Tools? Yeah. What do you mean? The supers have to have their own tools. You see, uh, if a building gives a man a job, they expect him to have his own working tools. That's the way you're done, see. Oh. How much will you need, George? Well, uh, I could get a set started with a uh, hundred dollars. Oh. Could you or Carl let me have the money? I'll pay it back to you in a few months. Well, I'd like to help you, George, but I haven't got a hundred dollars. You haven't? Carl handles all the money. I get an allowance for running the house and, of course, what I need for my organization work. Other things, like clothing, I charge to my accounts at the stores. Oh, I didn't know, Harriet. I'd have gone straight to Carl at the drugstore. I'm glad you didn't. Why? I've never asked him to support my mother. But, Harriet, I'm not asking... He wouldn't understand, George. Now, if you had a job and you needed help... But I haven't got a job. And I need the money so I can try to get one. Carl won't lend it to you. He'd be afraid that he was starting something that might never end. Would he rather see your mother and me go on relief? Relief? That's what we'll have to do, Harriet. We're out of money. Good heavens. Be a disgrace for everybody. Especially when the investigators find out that you and Carl have plenty of money. You can't do that, George. Here, take this ring. What? 
Take it to a pawn shop and borrow a hundred dollars on it. Oh, but Harriet... Don't borrow a cent more and bring the ticket to me. Uh, I don't want to make trouble between you and Carl. You won't make any trouble. I only wear this ring on special occasions. I can redeem it before Carl... Take it, George. Well, thanks, Harriet. I'll get the money to redeem it somehow. But please don't tell anyone I've done this. Not even my mother. Yeah, all right. She asks you where you got the hundred dollars. Tell her I had the cash in the house and I gave it. Is that your story, George? Yes, Mr. Kilgore. That's exactly how it happened. I didn't want to take the ring. But she... Well, what could I do? I needed money. Did your wife know that you were going to ask Harriet Fleming for a loan? No, it was my own idea. Why didn't you discuss it with her? I didn't have a chance. I was looking through the newspaper and I saw quite a few ads for supers and I thought I... Oh, I didn't steal that ring. How can I prove that I didn't? Leave that to me, George. You'll help me, Mr. Kilgore. I'll do everything I can. Where does Mrs. Fleming live? 925 Park Terrace. You going to see her? Yes, right away. I don't want to answer your questions, Mr. Kilgore. I've told my story to the police and to the district attorney. I can see no reason for telling it to you. You'll only have to tell it in court, Mrs. Fleming. I can wait. Under cross-examination before a jury. I'm not afraid of it. All right. But bear this in mind. When you go to court to testify against George Brown, I'll be there. So will a lot of other people. I don't see what... The judge, the jury, and spectators. Some of them may be friends of yours. I'm fully aware of it, Mr. Kilgore. But there's nothing I care to say now. I might have to ask you some embarrassing questions, Mrs. Fleming. Personal questions. Why? I'll have to show the jury your character so they can decide whether you've told the truth about the crime. Just what do you mean, Mr. Kilgore? You let your mother live in poverty. I? In a slum. You never take care of her. You never try to help her in any way. That isn't true. George told you that, didn't he? You deny it? Of course I do. I've tried to help my mother many times and she didn't want to be helped. She wanted to be left alone. Before she married George Brown, did you ask her to come here and live with you? Well, I... No. Why not? I knew it would have been useless. She wouldn't have come. Why not, Mrs. Fleming? I can't explain. You have to know my mother to understand. She's independent. Mm. Yes. Mrs. Fleming, you've hated George Brown from the day he married your mother, haven't you? So that's it. You did everything possible to prevent that marriage. You didn't want George Brown in your family. No, I didn't. Mm -hmm. Now we're getting somewhere. Not where you think. When I get through telling you about that man, you'll wish you'd never come here. Just tell me, Mrs. Fleming. He's been nothing but a drunkard as long as I've known him. Why, he killed his first wife. Now, wait a minute. Yes, killed her. Just as if he'd put his hands around her throat and strangled her. That poor woman never had anything but misery during all the years she was married to him. She never knew when he was coming home or in what condition he'd be in when he did come home. To live on what was left of his salary after he got through drinking. And it killed her. I didn't want the same thing to happen to my mother. Well, that's a new note. Where did you get your facts? I knew George Brown long before he married my mother. His wife and my mother were friends. And still, despite what she knew about George, your mother married him. Yes, and I'll never be able to account for it. Oh, she made plenty of excuses for him. George had changed. George was a new man. George wasn't drinking anymore. And for a while, he wasn't, Mr. Kilgore. But in less than a year, he was at it again. I know, because this time it cost him his job. Is that what your mother told you? She never told me anything about him. She wouldn't discuss him with me. Then you don't know why George lost his job, do you? It was for drinking, I'm sure of it. 
Well, we'll see. Now, about yesterday afternoon, when your stepfather came here to borrow $100. I told that story to the police and to I the... I want di- you to tell me, Mrs. Fleming. Oh, very well. I was getting ready to go to a luncheon that was being given by my club. I'm the president. So I've heard. I was dressed, except for my jewelry, rings, earrings, and so forth. I'd just taken them out of the jewel box, and when the doorbell rang, I put them down on the dresser and went to see who it was. It was George. I've got to see you, Harriet. All right, come in. I won't be long, Harriet, if you're going out. My club's giving a luncheon. What's the matter, George? I need $100. Really? i got to have it right away. I'm being pushed against the wall. By whom? A bartender? Harriet, listen to me. I'm sorry, George. I've got no money for you. But if you'd only give me a chance to explain... Not $100 or 100 pennies. I don't throw money down the drain. But this is something else, Harriet. No, George. Only $100. What would it mean to you and Carl? We'll give it to charity. Good Lord, what am I going to do? You can try to get a job. And perhaps if you stop drinking, you... Excuse me, George. I'll have to answer the phone. I'll wait. Won't do you any good. I won't change my mind. I'll wait anyways, Harriet. You didn't give him the ring, Mrs. Fleming? Of course not, Mr. Kilgore. I'm not out of my mind. But George couldn't take it while you were here where you could see him. But I wasn't. I was in the study, the next room there, answering the phone. He went into my bedroom and took the ring. Was he here in the living room when you came back? Oh, yes. He asked me again to loan him the money, and then when I said no, he left. When did you notice that the ring was gone? Almost immediately. Why didn't you notify the police? Why? It never occurred to me that George would be such a fool as to steal it. I thought it might have rolled off the dress. You didn't give him the ring to help him get a set of tools so he could look for a job? What? You didn't tell him to pawn that ring for $100 and bring the ticket to you because you didn't have $100? Is that what George told you? That I didn't have that much money? Yes. Would you like to see my checkbook? Why? I'll show it to you. It's right here in his handbag. Here, Mr. Kilgore, look at the balance. It's much more than $100, isn't it? Yes. That should let you know what kind of a person George Brown is. He's completely irresponsible. You couldn't have expected to. Mrs. Fleming, did George happen to tell you who was hounding him? No, but I can tell you that it was... So you don't know. Well, I'll have to find out. I'm going to see your mother now. Good afternoon, Mrs. Fleming. Mrs. Brown, I'm trying to get some facts. You've got to help me. What can I say, Mr. Kilgore? My husband on one side, my daughter on the other. They've told me two absolutely conflicting stories. I've got to find out which one of them is the truth. How can I say which one? You can't. I'm not asking you to. But you can tell me something about the characters of George and Harriet. I guess. This case may have to be decided on a question of character. The credibility of a person giving testimony in court. I couldn't say that my daughter is lying. No? And I couldn't say that my husband is a thief. Mrs. Brown, after your daughter married Carl Fleming eight years ago, you lived alone until you became Mrs. Brown two and a half years ago. Yes. Why? I preferred it that way. Why? Does it matter so much, Mr. Kilgore? It does. If George Brown is to have a chance... Otherwise, he might be sent to the state prison for five years. Five years? That might be the sentence, if he's convicted of grand larceny. But I... I don't know why it should be so important what happened between Harriet and me so long ago. Suppose you tell me, and I'll decide whether it's important. Well, a few weeks after Harriet and Carl were married, 
Harriet told me that... Yes? She said she wanted to explain why she hadn't asked me to live with her and Carl, but it was so silly. I'd just gotten a job as a saleswoman in a bakery, and I... Well, I was happy that I didn't need anyone to support me. What was her reason for not asking you, Mrs. Brown? She said that she and Carl had talked about it. They decided... Oh, I don't remember who was against it, she or Carl, but I know I had no intention of... Yes, thank you. That tells me a lot about your daughter. Now tell me about your husband. George. Yes. Is he a drunkard? Oh, no, no. Harriet claims that he is. That girl, she... She just can't get out of her mind the time George was married to Dorothy. I see. He... Well... He was very bad then. But when Dorothy died, George felt responsible. And he changed it. It was a miracle, Mr. Kilgore. He changed almost overnight. Why did he lose his job six months ago? Why? Because there was no more work. That was the only reason, Mrs. Brown? Yes. I'd like to check that, if you don't mind. Could you tell me where your husband worked? It was in a factory on River Street. Charles Benedict and Son. Thank you. Uh, Now, there's just one more question. Was your husband in any trouble recently? Trouble? I don't think so. George would have told me. Who said that to you, Mr. Kilgore? It doesn't matter. Well, it's almost five o'clock, and I'd better get down to the factory on River Street if I'm to see Mr. Benedict today. Yep, Mr. Kilgore, I fired George Brown six months ago. He was a good man, but I had to let him go. Why, Mr. Benedict? His mind was on his job. But it was only during the last couple of months he was here that he was like that. Was he drinking? Oh, now and then he'd come back from lunch with a drink or two under his belt, but well, that didn't bother me. George could hold it. I see. Then he did drink. Sure, once in a while. But that wasn't the reason I laid him off, Mr. Kilgore. Yes, I know. You said his mind wasn't on his job. What was wrong? Well, it's hard to say. But... Well, he'd stand out there in the factory, see, mooning around like he was in a fog. Didn't seem to know what he was doing. Mr. Benedict. And then, then he'd get those phone calls every day, sometimes twice a day. And I'd have to go out to the factory to tell him to come in here and answer the phone. It got to be a nuisance. What were the phone calls, Mr. Benedict? Do you know? Uh, some fellow named Fred Macon. Yeah, I know that was his name because I answered the phone every time it rang. And I always asked who's calling. Would you happen to know what he wanted from George? No, no. I never listen to personal conversations, even when they're on my time. But you're sure the man's name was Fred Macon? That's what it sounded like to me. But I'm not going into any court and taking note on it. I don't think you'll have to. Uh, may I borrow your telephone directory? Sure, sure, sure. Help yourself. There's the whole bunch of them under that tape. Thank you. I'd like to see if Fred Macon is listed. Okay, so George Brown's in jail, Mr. Kilgore. What do you want from me? A little thing called the truth, Mr. Macon. Now, wait a minute. You ain't mixing me up in no rap. I got a business. But it's got nothing to do with stealing diamonds. Just exactly what is your business, Mr. Macon? I make a living out of lending dough. That's what I thought, a loan charge. Take it easy, pal. How much does George Brown owe you? Fifty bucks, with interest. What does that amount to altogether now? About eighty-three dollars. You hounded him for it, didn't you? Hey, I don't like the way you talk. You hounded him, didn't you, Mr. Macon? I kept after him, if that's what you mean. He got that dough from me eight months ago, and he's been sawing ever since. I kept asking him for it in a nice way, and he kept saying he's going to pay up. But he didn't. What was I going to do? 
You threatened him, no doubt. What do you mean, threaten him? I know how you loan sharks work when a client can't pay. Listen, I ain't like other guys in this racket. I'm on the level. I'm listening to the phone book, ain't I? Yes, you are. But so are some of the worst criminals, Mr. Macon. Why, you... Good night. George, I want the truth from you. And I want it now. But I told you, Mr. Kilgore, I didn't steal that ring. Harriet lied. Look, George, I've chased all over town trying to get evidence that would help you. And all the evidence I've got, I found points to your guilt. Now, George... I didn't steal that ring, Mr. Kilgore. Why didn't you tell me about Fred Macon this morning? I... You didn't want to, did you? No. No, that isn't so. No, it... It slipped my mind. That's no good, George. I had no reason to keep it from you. What was I going to gain? You didn't think I'd ever find out. Why did you borrow $50 from a loan shark, George? I I couldn't get it from anyone else, and I, I was in trouble. What kind of trouble? I'd lost a week's pay. I couldn't go home and tell Emily. How did you lose it? I don't know. When I put my hand in the pocket where I keep my money, it was gone. I nearly went crazy. I looked everywhere for it. It was no use. You didn't drink it up, did you? No, on my soul. Now, George, let's try again. Did you steal Harriet's ring? I... Yes, yes, I did. Fred Macon was after me for his money. He, he threatened me. Said if I didn't pay him, I'd get hurt. Or something would happen to my wife. I was desperate. So yesterday afternoon, you went to your stepdaughter's house? Yes. And she wouldn't let me have a nickel. And then she went to answer the phone, and I saw the ring on the dresser. So... So you stole it? Yes. I... I couldn't see any other way out. Look, Mr. Kilgore, I never stole anything in my life before. And I wouldn't have taken this if I hadn't... Please, Mr. Kilgore, can't you help me? I don't know, George. But now that I know the truth, I'll see what I can do. Mrs. Fleming, I asked you and your mother to come down here to the district attorney's office because we now know all the facts in the case. What facts are there to know? George stole my ring and that's that. Yes, he stole your ring. He admits it. Then he's a thief and he should be punished. Harriet, why do you feel so bitter against George? Because he's a no-good drunken bum. I'm sorry, Mother, but he is and you know it. That's where you're wrong, Harriet. Since I married him, he's a changed man. He's never been drunk once in all that time. That may be true, it but... It is true, Harriet. Believe me. All right, so he doesn't get drunk anymore. But he did steal my ring. What about that? Just this, Mrs. Fleming. Eight months ago, George lost his pay envelope. Not wanting to let his wife know, he borrowed $50 from a loan shark. So that's what got him down just before he lost his job. Yes. The loan shark made his life miserable because George wasn't able to meet the payments on his small salary. He got so worried about that that it affected his work. And he finally was let out. So that's an I thought... Mrs. Fleming. George was being hounded by this loan shark. And seeing no other way out, he took your ring, worth over $2,000. But all he asks from the pawnbroker is $100, just enough to cover his indebtedness and probably to get a few tools so he could apply for a super's job. And he gave his right name. Now, I ask you, does that sound like the act of a criminal or of a man who was so desperate that for a moment he let himself do something he knew was wrong? I'm sorry, Mr. Kilgore. I guess I have been too hard on George. But what can I do now? Do you want him to go to jail? 
Quiet, please, Harriet. Withdraw the charges you made against him. If George goes to jail, it'll mean his death, and I... Mr. Kilgore, if I withdraw my complaint, will that mean George won't be prosecuted? That's right, Mrs. Fleming. All right. You can tell the district attorney I refuse to press charges against George. Suppose you tell him yourself. Sam, will you come in now, please? Got it all settled, Roger? Mrs. Fleming, will you tell Mr. Howard what you told me? I I want to withdraw my charges against Mr. Brown. I don't want to send him to jail. Very well, Mrs. Fleming, if that's what you want. George Brown is a free man. Thanks to you, Mr. Kilgore. I don't know how I can ever thank you for what you've done. It's all part of my job, Mrs. Brown. As attorney for the defense, it's my duty to do the best I can for my client. And as district attorney, it's my duty to tell you that I have to get to work on another case. Now that the public defender has cleaned this one up, would anyone mind... Not at all, Sam. Not at all. Thanks for the loan of your office. The story you've just heard was based on an actual case taken from the files of the public defender, although all names, places, and dates were, for obvious reasons, fictitious. And because we believe in equal justice for all, the Mutual Broadcasting System is this week sending its check to the public defender of Los Angeles to aid him in his great work. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. And that among these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Roger Kilgore, Public Defender, written by Stedman Coles and produced and directed by Jock McGregor, features Santos Ortega as the Public Defender and Stotch Cotsworth as the District Attorney. Others in the cast were Joseph Boland as George Brown, Bryna Rayburn as Mrs. Brown, Helen Choate played Harriet Fleming, Lawson Zerby was Fred Macon, and Bernard Grant was Mr. Benedict. Original music was played by Milton Krauss. Be with us again next week when the Mutual Broadcasting System will bring you another case in fact with Roger Kilgore, public defender, to prove that justice, equal justice, is the sacred right of all people in a democracy. Carl Caruso speaking. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Welcome back. Well, a very different type of episode uh, in that Kilgore's uh, client uh, was lying to him, and he had to sort through and figure out who was telling the truth. And he still manages to uh, win for his client, uh, even though he was guilty. And I, I really do like the way that it plays out, particularly with him at the end of the episode, uh, using those sort of, uh, persuasive skills that he would use before a jury on a more intimate setting to get, uh, the 
daughter-in-law to drop the charges against him. This is one of those cases where there's really a strong domestic feel, but I actually think it works to its favor. So I, I found it a pretty entertaining half hour, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. All right, well, I want to go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. I want to thank Beverly, Patreon supporter since March, currently supporting us at the Shamus level of $4 or more per month. Thanks so much for your support, Beverly. And that will actually do it for now. Uh, remember, we'll have an episode of Roger Kilgore, Public Defender, on Thursday. And... Uh, Though first, tomorrow, join us for The Man Called X, and then uh, next Tuesday, we will be playing a previously uh, uncirculated episode of Defense Attorney. Uh, In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net, follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives, and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.